Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to On the Ball with me, Rick Buecher, on the United Wecast Network. You can see me on FS1, you can hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. It's officially out as of this week. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. And if you're a Kindle reader, it's available that way as well. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. First of all, I want to thank all of you who have already picked up a copy of Rebound. We are now... Last I checked, number four on the list of books, basketball books on Amazon. Only Kobe and Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's former trainer, are ahead of us. Won't stop until we're at number one. So for those of you who have not picked up a copy yet, please do. I promise you, it's not just supporting Parkinson's and Brian and myself, of course, but it's a worthwhile story. You'll enjoy the book, I promise. Before I forget, I also want to thank those of you who have responded to our request to rate and review the show. Uh, Several of you have since we last spoke, or I last spoke to you, and it is very, very much appreciated. The feedback has been terrific. I'm glad that you're enjoying the show. We will keep it rolling. So, with that, what's the latest controversy roiling the NBA Twitterverse? At the time of this recording, it's the list that ESPN put out of the top 25 NBA players under the age of 25. Before I go any further, I feel compelled to point this out. Lists or rankings of any kind is the high fructose corn syrup of sports in that they are empty calories that are not good for you And yet, most people, based on the number of clicks they get, find them irresistible. Bleacher Report created its original popularity based on number of clicks with lists presented as slideshows. 
Readers apparently couldn't resist knowing what the top 10 stadium foods were or top 25 worst backup quarterbacks ever and would suffer the load of each and every new page. Hey, look, I'm not mad at Dave Finocchio and the other BR founders for becoming millionaires off that ruse. Kind of admire it. Don't know that I would do it. Would love the, the compensation. But look, it worked. They, they gamed the system and it was successful. And then, of course, they went on and made BR into a legitimate sports site. Never going to fault them for that. We need more of those, not less. Now, I debated whether or not to even discuss this latest list because it's only feeding the beast. That goes for any list, but this one in particular. In most cases, the providers of such lists aren't aiming to build an argument-proof or unassailable list. Quite the opposite. They want it to be controversial, to inspire debate and argument. Because the more of that there is, the more attention said list will get. And the more attention it gets, the easier it is to interpret that attention as meaning that people respect the opinion of those putting out the list. The list and the people making it must be meaningful because everybody is taking it in them so seriously. That's, that's the thinking. After all, when someone is raving like a madman and clearly doesn't know what he's talking about, we generally steer clear of that person. We don't take them seriously. We don't try to reason with them. We take pity on them and nod as if we're in agreement with whatever they're going on about. That, I'm giving you the whole rationale behind why these lists that come out and every single one whether it's espn or anyplace else there's always that one provocative element to it somebody rated way too high somebody left rarely someone's left off the list occasionally but it has more to do with taking someone that on the face of it you would never expect to be where they are on the list in the case of this one there, were, there was plenty of that. Uh, but as I said at the start, most sports, sports lists are rather meaningless, largely because the criteria for the list is so nebulous or simply highly subjective. It's why the NBA MVP award is so hotly debated. The league has never defined what most valuable means leaving it up to the interpretation of each and every voter. And it's why you don't get the same sort of controversy when we look at defensive player of the year or sixth man of the year. Because it's much easier to define who deserves those awards. The best, most impactful guy off the bench. Pretty easy. The most influential defensive player. Like, it's a lot easier to pinpoint and you're never going to go way wrong not to say that we go wrong with mvp but obviously mvp is also a more meaningful award but it's also far less defined there are, there are a lot of different ways to define it i used to do a column every year and i would pick an MVP for each particular category. It might be the best player on the best team. It might be the most indispensable player of them all. It might just be the most overall talented player. 
you could you could go through uh, half a dozen different definitions, and I did, and I would fill each one with a particular player. The criteria for this latest list, though, could not be more speculative. It was composed by former NBA executive and front office and salary cap guru Bobby Marks. That's how he's uh, defined now, uh, working for ESPN. And two ESPN draft analysts, Kevin Pelton and Mike Schmitz. I know Bobby a little. I don't know Kevin or Mike at all. It's not who put the list together that keeps me from getting upset about it, though. It's it's the how. It's uh, described as or defined as the best 25 players under 25 years of age based on potential, as Bobby pointed out in a tweet when fellow ESPN NBA analyst Kendrick Perkins took exception to the list. I'll get to how unusual, extraordinary that is in a second. But if you're picking 25 guys under the age of 25 and you're saying they're the best, but they're the best based on what they are going to be in the future, (laughs) you can see where this gets problematic. Who's to say what? Now, it would help if it was more closely like how you it would be defined or explained how they came to their conclusions there's no explanation there's no uh, apparently all three men simply gave their top 25 list they aggregated them and they came up with the 25 so you can kind of see where again it's a little foolish to get too upset about it because it just doesn't, what's the basis of it? We don't know what the basis of it is. And it doesn't appear, based on the list, that there was a set basis other than each individual's criteria. And again, as I said, they were not, those weren't defined. So you might as well pick names out of a hat if no attempt to define what potential means or how each voter, in this case, defined potential. And For those who got upset, Perk, by the way, wasn't alone. In a rant that once upon a time would have been a fireable offense, Stephen A. Smith suggested the makers of the list needed to be drug tested and that they are damaging the credibility of ESPN.com with such work. ESPN on ESPN Crime, I can tell you, was not tolerated at all during my 14 years there. Times have apparently changed. I thought it was extraordinary that whether you... I mean, look, there was plenty of times where people at ESPN didn't agree with somebody else. But if you ever made that public, if you ever took disparaged someone else at the uh, at the network, I, I believe there, if I'm not mistaken, there are people that were publicly suspended from their jobs for a while for doing that very thing. But this is why Perk or Stephen A getting all outraged because Devin Booker was ranked behind Ben Simmons or LaMelo Ball was third behind Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson. This is why it's all of that, that outrage is so silly because there's no finite way to measure potential. 
Or at least there's no discernible way in which this list was put together. Look, I could see where if you weighted untapped athleticism or other physical gifts, you could put guys high on the list that might not warrant it based on what they're doing on the court right now. But if that were the case, wouldn't you have to put Zion ahead of Luka? I mean, why would Luka be number one? Luka's not going to expand his game athletically or physically. You would expect that from Zion, who is as I watch him, is extraordinary in that he is essentially a one-trick pony. This is, I got into trouble by, I was asked, has he lived up to the hype? And I said then, and I will say again now, no, he has not lived up to the hype, simply because he was advertised as the next LeBron James. I took exception with that at the time, and I take exception to it now. I always knew that that was unfair to Zion. It continues to be unfair to Zion. He's not the next LeBron James. I don't know what he is. I don't know who he's the next of. I'm not sure we've ever seen anything quite like him. But his game is so extraordinarily limited. Extraordinarily limited. He can take just about anybody off the dribble. His ability to spin and wiggle his way to the rim uh, is amazing. Especially considering that's the only place he's going. You know he's not pulling up for a jump shot. You know, he's not shooting the three. And he's basically going to go until he can't, he realizes he can't get there. And then he's going to kick it. His passing is deft. And I love the, by the way, just overall, I love the kid's demeanor. I love the way he approaches things. Uh, I've heard him uh, speak and I'm impressed with him. He's a smart, thoughtful kid. I want to see him succeed. I'm glad that he's staying healthy. But he doesn't have much of a game. He's, he's living off, he's a pitcher who's living off of a fastball. It's, it is incredible that he's able to do what he can do. All that said, they're not winning games. And why they're not winning games is because no matter how incredible he is in getting to the rim, it's two points. The... New Orleans, I may have talked about this before. The Pelicans are losing the battle. He can shoot 80% or whatever he's shooting on twos. The Pelicans consistently lose the battle of shooting threes. And Zion included. So the more they put the ball into Zion's hands, the more teams are going to have an advantage. And it's why, yes... They block him at the rim a surprising number of times. Maybe not surprising considering you know that's where he's going to go. I, su- I suppose it's surprising they don't block him more. But it doesn't, like, they'll allow him to score. Not that they're going to allow him. They're not troubled. Teams are not troubled by the efficiency of Zion Williamson scoring at the rim. They're more troubled if they were collapsing their entire defense and New Orleans was scoring a ton of threes off of his drives. They score some, seems to have a nice little chemistry with Lonzo. But beyond that, it's just, it's a losing formula. You put Zion and Steven Adams on the floor. You have two guys that teams are not even worried about guarding unless they're at the rim. It's just the truth. So, and by watching them against the Brooklyn Nets, 
I, I don't wish anybody to ever lose their job, but they are not responding to Stan Van Gundy. I've seen more than one game this year where they're just sleepwalking. They do not seem to be energized by him at all. And I can tell that he's frustrated. He will get after them. They'll have a recovery game. But for the most part, that combination is not working. Whatever Stan is selling, that team is long past buying. I also saw him get into it with Steven Adams about what I gathered was a defensive an agreement on on defense and how to play a certain situation. And they went at it considerably. They had a, a long conversation, I'll say, on the bench. And I find that very interesting because Steven Adams is one of those he's he's I mean he, he has it, his opinion, but the fact that they would be having a disagreement and Steven Adams is all about doing the little things and playing def- defense, that's not the guy that I would expect to be at cross at, at odds with with Stan Van Gundy. And yet he was, I don't know if he still is. It just it's not doesn't have a good feeling uh, all the way around. Do not see Stan Van Gundy the way things are right now returning in that job next season. And to be clear, I don't put all that on Stan. It's an oddly composed roster. Uh, in an, in an age of three point shooting, they move JJ Redick, and they have Zion, Stephen Adams, and Jackson Hayes a regular part of their rotation, none of whom can shoot a three or even thinks about shooting a three. But back to the list. Zion would be number one if we were just talking about pure future potential. Brandon Ingram and Jamal Murray, who are 11th and 13th, conversely, couldn't possibly be that high. Bam Adebayo would be higher than ninth. Hell, Jalen Brown might be ahead of Jason Tatum, and Anthony Edwards would be a lot higher than 19th. OG Ananobi would deserve a spot, and he wasn't on the list at all. And DeMontis Sabonis, on the other hand, would not be on the list because it appears to me he's already maxing out his physical gifts. Sabonis is a very good player. He was an all-star this year. I don't know how much better he can get. And the same, honestly, could be said for Luca. Although, granted, he certainly deserves to be on the list. I'm not. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but with with Brandon Ingram and Jamal Murray, uh, they're both already extremely skilled. And I don't see a whole lot of untapped physical gifts with Jamal, in particular. I also find it interesting that the top three guys on the list have all demonstrated difficulty in staying healthy. Now, wouldn't availability be a prerequisite for realizing potential? I'm not saying they're going to continue to get hurt. Uh, Zion has had a pretty good year. Uh, Obviously, LaMelo Ball is out with the uh, broken wrist now for the rest of the season. Luka has played for the most part, although he always seems to be dinged up. I'm just raising that as a question because there are a ton of questions and no answers when it comes to this. Um... Look, the, the list kind of serves players with an upside that aren't producing wins. Uh, Darren Fox of the Kings is at number six, just behind Tatum. But it doesn't fully serve them. It doesn't, 
there's no philosophy that I can find to the list. And again, with lists, with rankings, they're always subjective. There's no way of determining an objective, coming, coming up with an objective list. It's always subjective. I just want to know what your philosophy is. What are you, what's your baseline? What's your thinking? What's your view of the game? What do you consider most valuable? <laughs> Going back to that conversation. Another reason I can't get all that hot and bothered about the list is that I disagree with Perk on Booker, who was eighth overall. Look, Book is a dynamic scorer and shooter. He picks and chooses when he's going to defend, and his decision-making for me is still suspect. There's a reason the Suns are so much better with Chris Paul running the show. Uh, in, look, in part, because they finally have a point guard. Having Devin Booker have to serve as point guard was never going to be very effective. But as dynamic as Book can be as a scorer, as unstoppable as he can be at times, he doesn't have a leadership element to him and he's been around long enough being one of those guys who came in early like the evolution of his game we've been talking about his potential it feels like for four or five years now i begin to question when we talk about a guy becoming what we can see him be when it takes that long it usually means there's something in the way and it's not necessarily the team. Uh, the player whose ranking made me regard the list the way I would a raving madman, in case you wanted to know, as in opt not to engage with it, was John Morant being listed as 15th. Last year's Rookie of the Year, who is the engine that had the Grizzlies a playoff team last year, before the shutdown, who is one of the most dynamic all-around players in the league, now has the likes of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I like, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. as all having more potential. Why? Athleticism? Yeah, you've probably seen some of the oop dunks that he's finished or the moves that he's made to the basket. Dude has... Unta I mean, has unbelievable athleticism. I can't imagine that he's not going to get even better as he gets stronger. He's going to be more explosive. Super agile. Not worried about, yes, he's, he had, he's been dinged up a little bit this year. Uh, for me, it's in part because he plays so hard and he has to do so much for the Grizzlies. But why is... And I like, I like Gilgis as a... Uh, a similar player as as Ja. He simply hasn't demonstrated that he can lead a team in the same way. Uh, Jamal Murray, yeah, he's been, he was great in the bubble last year. I love Jamal Murray's game. Do I think that he's going to expand from where he is now? I, I just don't see it. Michael Porter Jr., electric scorer. Uh, doesn't rebound all that well. Doesn't defend... Ah, boy, I, I think he could be a scary scorer. He also could be a guy who continues to get in his own way. Uh, just there's, there's an element about him uh, that is one of the reasons outside of the bad back that he had that he dropped uh, in the draft as far as he did. So why, how, who knows, 
More important, who cares? Honestly, I don't. And I recommend that you don't either. Uh, lists are the junk food of sports writing. They aren't going to do a whole lot for you. And they can give you an upset stomach if you're not careful. Enough with that analogy. All right. The, the other topic I want to hit is the situation that the, that the Lakers find themselves in. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I know. It's a natural reflex now to assume that if LeBron is healthy, all will be well. And if he's not, well, let's just pack up and wait until next season. But I can see a third scenario. He comes back and plays, but can't get going at the level he needs to for the Lakers to repeat as champions. Now, LeBron stands will complain that I'm always trying to count LeBron out. And he always proves me wrong. And when am I going to learn? But it reminds me of when Spurs fans had the same complaint about how their team was viewed. Not just by me, but uh, many people in the media. About how everyone claimed they were past their prime and how they kept proving everybody wrong. Except they really didn't. After they won the 2014 title, they won 55, 67, and 61 games over the next three seasons. Which is why people kept saying through the course of the season, see, you counted them out again, and look at what they're doing. Except, when we got to the playoffs, they were never a threat to return to the finals, much less win at all. They won as consistently as they did during the regular season because they were a disciplined team that had a system, and they played at a certain level every single night. And if you do that, in the NBA, you're going to win a lot of games. If you can maintain a certain standard, you're going to beat a lot of teams because they're just more up and down. But ultimately, you get to the playoffs. Now everybody's on their A game. Now you got to have an A game and you got to have an A plus game. And that's where the Spurs were just, they were meeting their potential. They were reaching their potential throughout the season. They didn't have another level to go to. Whereas the teams that were a little up and down, once they got to the postseason, the best of the best, they could take it up another notch. If we took a look, close look at what LeBron has done, the signs are there that the run is over. The, the signs are there that, yes, he can still be pretty damn amazing in the regular season. And even through the playoffs, depending on who he faces. But his dominance, his ability to win it all, and I know we'll, we'll get to that last year, is simply not there. Yes, he and the Cavs 
made it to the finals his last two years in Cleveland. But they lost in five games in the finals one year and were swept the next. It was really surviving the East. And by the way, he's not in the East anymore. The following season with the Lakers, he couldn't or didn't finish because of injury and didn't make it to the playoffs. And last year, of course, we had the shutdown and the restart in the bubble that resulted in a championship. Now, the more I look at what transpired last year and what is going on this year, I can't help but feel that the breaks all went the Lakers' way last year, and quite a few of them, and that now they're going the other way, that the scales are being balanced. The Nuggets took care of their number one nemesis for them last year, the Clippers, and they faced a young and injured Heat team in the finals. And yes, look, I didn't expect the Clippers to get bounced by the Nuggets, and Yes, I thought the Heat could be a worthy adversary when the series started. But with both Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo missing or hampered by injuries, I also felt, once the series began, that they had little or no chance of actually winning it. Now, in the end, the three-month COVID shutdown allowed not just LeBron, but all the old vets on last year's Lakers team to save their legs and simply put together a sprint to the finish. And there's no doubt that that worked in their favor as much as any team. They also, they had a chemistry with that team. They had a bunch of guys that they brought in there that had something to prove one way or the other. Dwight Howard had something to prove. JaVale McGee being let go by the Warriors had something to prove that, hey, I didn't just coattail to a championship, no matter if, whether you believe that or not. Like, I can be part of a championship formula someplace else. Uh, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, you name it. They all had something, and no one more so than Anthony Davis had something to prove. The Warriors dynasty was fueled by very much the same thing. Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, we don't think of them now as being undervalued or discounted, but they all were at one time or another. It fueled them. Andre Iguodala, same thing. Sean Livingston. I mean, go down the list. What united them was that they all had been overlooked one way or another, and they came together to prove otherwise. I feel as if that's exactly what the Lakers did. Even LeBron had something to prove, that he was up to the task of bringing a championship to L.A. But they have none of that working for them this year. Now, they're the injured ones. The same way their first-round opponent, the Blazers, were injured and had to play catch-up in order to make it into the playoffs, into the regular playoffs, going through the play-in process. Uh, they're the ones who could have the more challenging path as their second-round opponent, the Rockets, did in having to go toe-to-toe -to -toe for seven games with the Oklahoma City Thunder and then face the Lakers. And perhaps most important, they're the ones whose chemistry, like the Clippers last year, may not quite be on point. I know what we've seen LeBron James do in the past, 
But this is such an extraordinarily different team. And yes, there's some guys who you could say have something to prove. Dennis Schroeder has something to prove. But he's also very strong-willed. He's a handful. From what I hear, and I'm a, and I'm a Schroeder fan, just to be clear. But from what I hear within the Lakers organization, he's a handful. There's a reason that they were contemplating trading him for Kyle Lowry. They were ready to pull the trigger on that if they could have they could have made it happen. Because as good as he is defensively, uh, and as tough as he is, he's he's very strong-willed, and he's not like Rajon Rondo, who also temperamental, can be difficult, has that reputation, very strong-willed. He doesn't have the IQ or the ability to bring guys together on the floor the way Rondo does. He doesn't have the same level of selflessness as a playmaker that Rondo does, or the IQ, or quite honestly, the resume that makes players, maybe not less so coaches, but players give them the benefit of the doubt. Marcus Gasol already got his ring from Toronto. Uh, upset now on some level that they added Andre Drummond to the equation. Wes Matthews, I don't know what he was promised, but he's playing a career low 20 minutes and taking a career low four shots a game. Can't be happy with that role, especially since he was supposed to be the replacement for Danny Green, who started every one of the 68 games that he played for the Lakers last year. So as much magic as LeBron has made in the past, it's going to be a very tough task for him coming back and creating the same chemistry. I feel as if in some ways we've already seen that. The personality of this team is just different. I can tell you the Lakers were a fun-loving bunch last year. I was in that locker room before the shutdown. Their chemistry was real. JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are fun to be around. Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell, different personalities. They're not bad guys. They're just not goofy the way JaVale and Dwight are. They're also facing pressure last year's team didn't. Now they're the team sliding down the standings in the West with a losing record since LeBron went down, while every other team in the West is surging. They are very likely headed to a play-in game or two. And that's like their first-round matchup last year, the Blazers. They're the ones that are going to have to expend the extra energy just to get into the traditional playoff rounds. They're the ones that are going to have to rush guys back maybe a little sooner than they'd like or ask them to play harder sooner than they'd like. That's, that's the biggest difference here is they are going to face a very difficult decision whenever LeBron and Anthony Davis get back, which is, by that point, which was still several weeks away, they could be look at, looking at being the seventh or eighth seed with, say, nine or ten games left. So then the decision is, do we push it in order to move up in the standings? Do we play whatever minutes LeBron and AD have to play in order to win those games and move back up? 
Or do we say, let's not risk re-injuring them. Let's ease them in. Let's deal with the play-in game, play game. Now you're looking at the prospect of one loss ending your playoff season. And as we've seen in the NCAA tournament on any given night, that can very well happen. And I would think that the pressure would be in those play-in games, the pressure would be on the Lakers. And as I said, this is a very different Lakers team for last year. If you were telling me it was the exact same team they had last year, I'd say they faced down situations. They, they, they know what it takes to bring it together and get it done. There are too many new pieces on this team to believe that, no matter what the condition of Anthony Davis and LeBron is. And keep in mind, last year with the bubble, LeBron at age 35 and the rest of that team were able to ease into their return. They went 3-5 and five in the warm-up games, in the, the end of the regular season in the bubble. They were able to do that because they were already established in the standings. They already were comfortable in that number one seed. Didn't have anything to really play for. It's going to be completely different here unless they just forfeit or decide those games don't matter. And then it's suddenly we got to ratchet up in order to win this play-in game. Circumstances are simply dramatically different. And as much as I do understand that it's dangerous to suggest that LeBron and the Lakers can't get it done again because they defied what everybody expected last year, I can, in retrospect, look at how they got it done last year and make sense of it. I have concerns about them this year. I think the road is going to be much more difficult. I think there are teams that are more prepared in both conferences to potentially take them down. And there's just too many questions that need answers and need positive answers that I believe are going to be more difficult to find. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball with me, Rick Buecher, on the United WeCast Network. As I've said before, thank you to those who have rated and reviewed the show. We are trying to move up in the standings when it comes to those ratings and reviews. So if you enjoy this podcast, the one gift that you can give me and my sponsors is to rate and review the show. Thank you in advance. Not sure where we're going, once again, in the next podcast, but I promise you there will be one. It will come out at the same time, and it will address something important in the NBA to both you and me. At least I hope so. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.